Welcome to the Satori Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Kovar, and with me today is Shihan Jeremy Sipes. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, having me here. Yeah. Hey, we're in this beautiful dojo in Folsom, California. We just opened up a couple months ago. Yes, sir. Yeah, All right. it's awesome. Yeah, so uh, Jeremy has been uh, doing martial arts for how long now? Man, uh, put a year on it. I'm probably at 28 years now. 28 years. So he's, I remember you coming in as a little guy with your father and, and, uh, it's been quite a process and how long you've been actually, you start teaching probably in high school, I'm guessing. Yeah, I was 16 years old when I first started teaching and it just kind of happened. It was one of those things that I got lucky enough to fall mm -hmm. into, but, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I've been teaching for almost 20 years now and you know, every day is an exciting day and it's a lot of fun. And it's one of those careers I never thought I would have done because I had other mindsets for what right. I wanted to do as an right. adult, but I fell in love with teaching. And I, of course, I've always loved martial arts. And so they kind of went hand in hand and a stellar teacher you are, <laughs> but I have a memory and I knew you and I have talked about this before <laughs> that. So Jeremy, uh, trained as a little kid, took a little time off yes, and sir. his dad was a black belt with us, an amazing guy. And, and, uh, so he, I think, I don't know if he dragged you back into the school or what, but I remember you had this baggy shirt and his hat backwards and you were all, all cool. And, and, uh, and I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be interesting to see if we can get this guy's channel, energy channel, but something just clicked and man, you just took off. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's those moldable or impressionable teenage years that we always talk about as instructors and what we can do to impact them. And I think I was missing that element and I always had loved martial arts and it was kind of like my dad was asking if I wanted to go back and he was seeing if I was serious, mm -hmm. right? Cause he wasn't just going to start tuition and have me not go. Right. So made me come in and watch some classes and, and I was greeted with all the staff you included, um, you know, with open arms, like I'd never left. So even though maybe I had a kind of hard shell on the outside, I was, I was ready to get back to something that I felt I belonged to. Well, you know, it's interesting now that you're a father yourself, you th see things differently, you yes, know, and, and your kid's joy is your joy and your kid's pain is your pain, you yeah. know? And when you see, like, I, I'm just envisioning that, uh, you know, you weren't going down a bad path, but you weren't training and I could see, I can visualize your father knowing him thinking, man, she would like to get Jeremy back in here training, right? And, and so the, how exciting that must have been for him when you got back into it as well. And it's a great lesson for us as instructors when we see those parents bringing their kids of all ages, but especially those teens. Right. And, you know, that they all have something going on, whether it's small or big, and that mm -hmm. we need to accept them and let them know like, hey, martial arts is a cool place to be and, and it's going to do some good things for you. Yeah. You know, from my stories, I didn't start until uh, I wanted to do martial arts as a little kid, but my folks wouldn't have anything to do with it. So I wrestled in junior high and then a freshman in high school at El Camino. I finally got my parents to let me get started. And it was actually my older brother, Tim, who of course, you know, very well right. had gone away to his college for a year and came back and said, you got to let Dave do karate. <laughs> and, uh, and it, it, the timing could not have been better because in junior high, you know, I was a little jock. I was on the wrestling team and flag football and whatnot. And, and, uh, and then over the summer between eighth grade and ninth grade, all my friends grew and I didn't. And literally <laughs> okay. when I got my driver's license, I was five, three and weighed 115 pounds. That's on my temporary driver's license. Uh, and I, I just didn't fit in anywhere, you know? Okay. And I remember for me, it was like martial arts. That was, that was my tribe, man. Right away. It was just, I knew this was the place for me. Absolutely. And it's cool because you have so many different people from different walks of life, but we all are focused on one thing and that's martial arts. And that's what brings us together. Yeah, totally. You know, it's interesting because I can think of uh, like a couple of old timers, uh, Danny Mesner and Terry Pox. And you remember both of them. And yeah. These two people could not have been more different in 
political viewpoint, social, you know, you name it. Absolutely. They're across the spec. But guess what? They're favorite training partners. Now, yeah. if you know, if they met outside the dojo, they may have not even liked each other, <laughs> but they end up being great friends because, like you said, it's that thing that people have in common. And what's one of the cool things that I see about people that do martial arts inherent in the martial arts is this this kind of will to want to be better. You know what I'm saying? And it trans- transfers into other areas of your life. Absolutely. I totally agree. And, you know, um, once I started getting back into the martial arts, I was focusing more on my eating habits and trying to get some workouts in and, you know, paying attention to the thoughts that were going through my head. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things, and it wasn't just the karate, the self-defense, it was all the other things that go along with it. Yeah, that, it's kind of like if you focus on one thing, other things just kind of naturally kind of fold into position. So right. talk a little bit about your journey. So I know you've been, you know, part of the school for, like you said, 28 years. I know you've also taught at several of our locations. You were like at the Carmichael School forever and, yes, sir. and Cameron Park for a long time and then Waterman and yeah. Folsom. Did I miss any? Uh, no, that you got you all the okay. schools that I've worked okay. at. Um, so it's it's been a really cool journey. Uh, like you said, I started when I was a kid doing martial arts, and I grew up uh, actually really loving sparring tournaments. That was like my big passion. I've always loved to spar. Uh, never actually had a fight outside the martial arts school. Never had to defend myself or use physical or mm-hmm. physicality. Um, but I love to fight. I love to spar in the controlled environment where I'm not going to get hurt. So I did that for many years. Um, and then took a little time off, came back to martial arts, did some more tournaments, um, as I was teaching, um, and then kind of fell in love with the full contact side of it. So became an amateur boxer for a little while. Um, still one of my favorite disciplines of martial arts, um, through the teaching aspect, I started at our flagship school, the Carmichael school. Um, I was, I think 18 years old when I took over the junior floor there, uh, ran that school for about a year and then became the manager of the Cameron park location. I think Um, you were the head instructor when my little kids were, my kids were like little (laughs) samurai, right? I have some really fun stories that I like to tell about your kids yeah. uh, in their um, in their youth days yes. and how they helped me become a better instructor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I took over the Cameron Park School at 19, uh, ran that school for I want to say 11 years. Wow. Um, and then got the opportunity to run the Waterman location, which was a pretty big change going from a school of about 200 to a school of a little over 400, um, trying to understand how to work with a bigger team of staff members, how to make sure that we keep the quality of instruction up for our, our students, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the double the size of that school. Um, but learned a lot of great things, worked with probably one of the, the best teams that I've gotten a chance to be with uh, in a actual location, at least from a standpoint of just getting stuff done. Sure. Like they're, Absolutely. They're, they're working they're animals out yeah, there, but yeah. it's a lot of fun too, um, because they're always looking for ways to better themselves as instructors and their students. And I took a lot of that away from them. And I'm going to use some of those mindsets with the Folsom location now yes. that I'm super excited about and impacting this community. That's a little bit closer to my house. Um, and also, you know, just getting a chance to start from fresh is kind of a cool opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, you're the right guy for it. We're super happy that, you know, that, that it worked out that you were the guy that's going to be able to run the school. And and for me, it's kind of like full circle because, you know, when we did a, a massive, a massive expansion, as you remember, right. and expand a little too fast, and we actually opened up a school in Folsom that was doing pretty good, but we had no choice but to, to close it because right. we had to kind of, uh, what, uh, warm down a little bit and, and uh, downsize, I guess, a little bit. And so it's right. kind of like, okay, we, we get a chance to be back in this amazing community. It's a little different. The, the school here is a little smaller, a little mm-hmm. leaner, and we're super excited about what's going on. Yeah, I think that the the new idea, at least behind the way that we're uh, presenting school models, is it's going to give a lot more opportunities to have that one-on-one connection. 
uh, with the students. So I like the smaller foot, footprint. Absolutely. It's very cool. Well, you know what I thought we can talk about is that like, you know, as you are aware, a couple of Fridays ago, uh, I was awarded Carmichael person of the year for 2022. And that's not what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> the point was we had a cool dinner and, and it was at first when, when, when that, that, when I was first, when the lady called me from the chamber of commerce to say, she, first thing she asked if I had the date free, it was kind of like, if you don't have the date free, you're not getting the award. <laughs> that was really clear. But, but then it was like, you know, she, she explained it to me and I kind of felt, I don't know, almost like, you know, embarrassed, like, uh, like, you know, but what I re- understood went on to kind of feel over time went by is, is that, uh, first off it was being as how, uh, the last name of our business is Kovars is the name of our business. And I founded it. That gives me a few perks. And one of those is probably getting an award, for, say, for our kid. <laughs> but it really represented our business. But I'll tell you why I want to share that with you, because after 44 years of business, it, I felt what the award really meant to me was that, wow, the general public is kind of kind of getting what martial arts does for people. And and uh, you've been around long enough to maybe remember you've been somewhere where people go, what, you're going to have my kid do karate or jujitsu? What's that? But back in the day, that was really, you just kids just didn't do it. It wasn't accepted. So now it's really cool to see how martial arts is pretty much, you know, I think we're on the tipping point. It's, it's relatively mainstream, but I think even more so, you know, uh, you know, of course our philosophy is as a parent, I know you feel the same way. You want your kid to know at least two things, how to swim and how to defend themselves. Right. Yes, sir. And so what I thought would be kind of interesting to do is talk about Abraham Laszlo's hierarchy of needs. And okay. I want to go through the five uh, needs and then how they relate to our martial arts training. Sure. Okay. So, uh, Abraham Maslow was a, a, a psychiatrist or a, that, that really developed these, he looked at different cultures throughout the world and said, okay, what are the, you know, kind of, what is the process? What do people need? And, and the very first need is survival. Okay. Okay. Or, and and the, the need for survival is like, you know, you got to eat, you got to be able to have, you know, drink water. You got to have right. a you roof over your head in the winter time or, you know, so you, and uh, uh, you've got to be able to breathe fresh air, etc. And uh, so I think martial arts covers all these pretty well, but the survival one really for me when it comes to martial arts is about the understanding that if we want to survive and thrive, we've got to take care of our body. So what kind of, how would you make the leap from survival to martial arts training? Um, I mean, there's a lot of different things that are coming up. So one of the buckets would be like, let's take a, a parent that has a student, whether they're a small child or a middle schooler, maybe they're having bullying issues or maybe they're having, you know, anxiety issues or something like that. Something that is very pertinent right now and is hindering them from having a good quality of life. And whether that's the parent's perception of the child or the child is feeling that anxiety, I think martial arts can help with those things. We can help attack the mental issues Mm -hmm. and then give them the physical um, aspects and elements to help them be confident with their body and their mind at the same time. So that's one element that I think would be and very in that. good. Like, and, and that it, it is survival. It might not be like life or death survival, but it's the right. ability to survive. Like, okay, I'm going to survive school, so to speak. But I mean, if you put it on a further level, like you go years and years with anxiety and added depression or something that could yeah. be a really a severe thing yes. that could hinder them from being, you know, a successful adult. And so absolutely. At, no, I, at I think the it's beginning perfect. of it, it may be small, but no, yeah, I know absolutely. what I'm saying is, is it is survival. It, it wasn't as I was initially thinking of it, but absolutely applies. So the next one, so survival's at the lowest. So the whole point with the hierarchy of needs is you cannot meet the next need until you get the first one. Okay. okay? So now as humans, the first thing we need to do is the ability to survive, right? right? Now, the next one is is we need safety. And okay. kind of the, the thought process here is, let's just say you're uh, you're, stra- you're stranded on a desert island. First mm-hmm. thing you're looking for is food and water and shelter, right? Okay, and after you've got that, uh, 
then you know you and by the way if you don't if you don't have that you're willing and there's an enemy camp on the other side of the island you're you're you're, you're you'll risk hopping the fence and going in because you have no other choice right? sure. but once you have that the next one is safety okay. and that's why i think really from a martial arts standpoint what we allow people to do is is feel safe in different environments any thoughts right. on that well, it's a safe training environment, number one. So they're going in learning skill sets that might be a little um, hard to master or they might be challenging to overcome or they might kind of challenge their their person, right? Because they're having to be loud in front of a group and maybe they're a shy person. Um, so feeling safe in that environment is definitely um, key. And then, of course, building skills physically that help you feel safe and um, skill sets mentally that you can review over and over that create safe habits and, and things like that. Yeah. Well, so one of the things like, you know, cause you've been doing it since you're a little kid is that, you know, martial arts are so much more. Yes. We teach actual self-defense, right? Like if a guy gets too close, we step back, we put him to say hand back off and we palm strike him in the nose and kick him in the groin. But we also teach strategic self-defense, you know, yes, and especially people of all ages, but especially kids learn from experience. And so mm -hmm. what we're able to do is we're able to teach them how to be safe, you know, in, in, in environments that may not normally feel that safe and mm -hmm. as you know like you know the average predator does not have an alternative plan they have an alternative victim and what that means is when once we teach someone to to be confident just the fact that they, they all of a sudden they're projecting different signals that say i'm sure of myself and they're less likely to be confronted in the first place absolutely and like i think one of the key points that you hit on is practicing those right if we don't practice we're never going to be able to you know use that skill set when we need it when it's a mm -hmm. you know a stressful situation or our adrenaline's up or whatever it is whether it's physical self-defense or mental martial arts yeah and then you know also like we want that that child's experience the first time he has to say no to the bully or stand up to the bully we want them him to be successful so right. we kind of create that environment in the school to where they can practice and and how many times have you heard in your career a parent come up to say you know that whose child maybe they got him started because they're being bullied at school and mm -hmm. you ask what's going on and they usually say you know, I'm not, my child's not being bullied anymore. Right. Yeah. I, I actually hear that way more than anyone's ever used their physical right? martial arts skills, whether it's that, or, you know, they were able to tell somebody that was picking on them to stop that or whatever. It's, it's much more fun for me to hear that. Cause in reality, if my student had to use their martial arts to defend themselves physically, I would be okay with it, but I don't want them to have right. to do that. Sure. So if they can use their mental stuff to stay away, that's, that's golden in my yeah. book. Yeah, and you know, that's it, one of the unique things about martial arts is the confidence. You, you can get confidence by learning how to play soccer or, mm -hmm. or piano. All those things help you develop confidence right. in yourself. But there's something about, you know, someone that's physically intimidating in front of you, looking at you, threatening you with bodily harm, and you being able to look him in the eye. And maybe you're still scared, but you got a plan. So when you right. step back, you can say, buddy leave me alone, but your eyes are saying, I'm ready to do this if I have to. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, you don't appear as less like a, as much like a victim as you would have otherwise. Exactly. And I think just to touch on what you kind of said right there, just to put it more clarity is that we're not trying to be scary as their instructors, but it's still intimidating to talk to an adult like that yeah. if you're a child. Yeah. And that's how we give them that practice is once they can do it with us, they can probably pretty much do it with anybody, especially someone that's their same size or, you know, at their school or something like that. Yeah. You know, one of the things that people ask all the time, like, you know, what's the most important thing you can teach? And by the way, martial arts is great for adults too. We just seem to be talking more about kids right now, but uh, what's the most important thing you can teach a kid? And I always tell them, I think it's a polite greeting. Yes, sir. You know, what's your thought process? Why do you think that's such an important thing? Well, it goes along that vein of confidence, right? If everyone thinks of you as the person that's confident and uh, you have your stuff put together and you're willing to go out of your way to say hi to people, sometimes they won't have their guard up as mm -hmm. high, you know, like that bully, they probably don't 
they don't like being mean. It's just something that they do because they might not have another outlet. Now, all of a sudden, you're reaching out to be their friend. It might change their mindset or at least how they uh, approach you as a person. Yeah, really good. And then the whole deal is is when you uh, – uh, more than one time, I've had uh, someone come in that trained with us as a kid say, yeah, I got the first job I applied for. And they said it's because you know I was able to look them in the eye. And, and more and more with this digital generation, it's like – especially over COVID the last couple of years, people right. have lost a lot of our social skills. And that's something that's such an important aspect, which brings me to step three. So we had – the first one was survival. second one was safety. The third one is socialization. Okay. Okay. On, on the, so now, okay, I got, I, you know, I got food and water. All right. I'm in a safe environment. Right. Now the next, what am I looking for now? I'm not looking for anything else uh, if I don't have those two. But now that I've got that, you know, I'd kind of like to be a part of something. Right. Right. So how do you see socialization as part of martial arts training? Well, there's, uh, of course, the the really easy one, the low-hanging fruit of we're all doing martial arts. It's easy to talk to somebody about a common, you know, thing that we like to do. So I think that's a big part of it. But I think also martial arts has the opportunity for students to relate on different levels because, you know, I have a knee injury. If I have training with somebody else who has a knee injury, we're going to talk about, oh, how'd you get yours? Mm -hmm. I got mine snowboarding and you got yours because you, you know, missed the last step in your house and we have a fun conversation. Now all of a sudden I have a friend that isn't just connected on the level of the thing that I'm doing or starting to branch out a little bit more. So I think, you know, martial arts is pretty awesome with that because just like soccer or music or whatever, we have that common mm -hmm. thing to bond on. That's good. And then the other thing is, is that more and more as people become more digital, I feel the need for them in-person interaction is going to continue to increase. And, yeah. and, you know, sports can be a great thing for kids, so many kids. And sometimes it's not such a good thing for mm -hmm. them. You know, one of the things that we try to create uh, not just in our schools, but I see it in schools all over the country, is a, an environment where there's no bench sitters. It's kind of a team environment, but right. everybody's kind of, it's not who's the best in the class. Everybody's kind of playing the game, right? yeah. which makes it kind of unique. I think, you know, that was one of the things that attracted me the most about martial arts. And since I started when I was seven, I didn't really understand this until I got older. I don't enjoy team sports because I like that it's all on me. I like that I have the ability to make the change, to make the adjustments, but I'm never sat out. I never, because I make a mistake, I don't get benched. I have the ability to make that adjustment over time. Even if it takes me months or years to fix that thing, I still get to play the whole time. So it's kind of cool. That I like that a way that you put it because I never thought about it, like playing the game the whole time, but it's absolutely true. And, and that was one of the things that I didn't enjoy about team sports. So martial arts really grabbed my attention. Yeah, for me too. And then, and, you know, we just try to create an environment where, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, you introduce somebody, one of my things, you got a new child that just came to class and someone else has been there for a while. You shake hands and say, hey, this, Dave, this is Jeremy. You guys are friends now. And they look at you, oh, got a new friend, right? right. And, you know, and, then, and we all want that to create that environment where we're teaching people to encourage each other. I think it's the elimination of the competitive element that goes along with it, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody's trying to to get to that spot to be the starter or whatever. Not that team sports aren't great, but not everybody um, that doesn't speak to everybody. Everyone doesn't get hungry or excited to to try and get to the top level. They might just want to be a part of the group with that socialization that you're speaking of. Exactly, and you know, it, it's kind of like uh, it, it, as you said, competition can be a great thing, but people are getting so much of that already, right. especially initially with our newer students and our lower belt students. That's the last thing we want them to do. Just run your own race, man. Just, just do the best you can and try your hardest and we're good with that. And then over time, we're going to challenge you a little bit. Okay, so first one was uh, survival. Second okay. one was safety. Third one was uh, um, socialization. Mm -hmm. The fourth one is self-esteem. Okay. Okay. That's the, now that I'm a part of the group, 
Okay. Uh, I would like to feel better about myself. I, I would right. like to be. So how, how do we address self-esteem in martial arts? Well, we do a lot of goal setting in martial arts. I think that's huge because it paints the picture on where you need to go. Okay. And then that helps us create that excitement when we get there, whether it's a, a small advancement, what we call a tip test or a stripe test, or it's a belt promotion um, or like long-term black belt, right? How good is it going to feel when you hit those milestones? And we make a big deal about it. Not not because it's fluff or not because we think we should, but because it's pretty cool. Like you got a kid that came in and they're uh, maybe not as athletically gifted and they're shy and they get their first belt and they're the one demonstrating in front of the whole group of kids or the, the adults that are watching. Or you watch them get their black belt and then their family tells you how they've gone on to do this, you know speeches in front of their class or they're the ones raising their hand and volunteering and or this their may have been someone improved. that was too shy to even look someone in the eye exactly so um you know that that opportunity to celebrate that with them and then they they kind of get that sense of i am doing good i i do got this i can do this and mm -hmm. like i said it's we never make it like fluff or mm -hmm. generic or where the kids they're not doing good, but we give them that false sense of security. That's not the right, right way to do right. it. Right. We try um, to point out when they do something well, we try to be there to acknowledge it, which they often don't get, right? Exactly. There's a confidence we, it's a concept we teach called the confidence spiral. And I know you're familiar with it, but I'm explaining it to the listeners. Yes, sir. And that is, is where if you take two words, you think of the word failure and you think of the word low confidence. And you can see how those two words are connected. If mm -hmm. I fail at something, what does it do to my confidence level? It drops. drops it down, yeah. If my confidence level goes down lower, then I'm more likely to fail, right? And we see this in sports all the time when someone's going through a slump, right? Right. And so one of the things that we try to do, and by the way, you know, failure, low confidence does not build someone's self-esteem, right? So the flip side is also true. When I'm confident in something, I'm more likely to be successful. And when mm -hmm. I'm, I'm more likely to be, when I'm successful at something, I'm more likely to build my confidence. So what we do over time is we build their confidence. And, right. and by doing so, by the way, the board's not always going to break every the time they try. <laughs> They're not always going to win the sparring match. They're yes, not sir. always going to pass everything. But we try to initially really help them build their confidence uh, so that they, they believe in themselves. And mm -hmm. so then eventually when, 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 when they do fail, which they're gonna, right. you know, they, they have enough strong enough self image, you know, their self esteem is high enough to where they're not, they're not beaten by it. They're able to take a breath and try again. Yeah, absolutely. And then adding in little things. So, um, when they're going through those failures, we're telling them things that they are doing well and things they can work on. So they know, okay, I got this piece in the bag. This is okay. I keep doing this. I'm going to do fine. Now I just need to adjust this little part rather than thinking the whole thing is a problem. It's just a little bit and they can make adjustments from there. So, um, yeah, I think that at least the way that we present martial arts, it allows people to be successful, but not in a way where it's false. They, yeah. they feel confident and they feel proud of their success because they're working hard. You know, it's amazing when, when Kano, the founder of judo, kind of put the belt system together, like in the late 19th century, right? Right. Uh, you know, how... The brilliance of, you know, you have short-term goals, intermediate-term goals, long-term goals. Long-term goal, let's say, being a black belt, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, 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 intermediate goal, of a belt. And then more, more recently, tips that add along. So what happens is, is that people start to, you know, wow, set these goals and, and accomplish them. And every time they do that, they, you know, they go, <laughs> whoa, you know, and that transfers over to so many other aspects of their life. And of course, uh, you know, we've seen this with plenty of adults as well that came in, have been kind of beaten down by life. They kind of got their mojo back through martial arts training. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, my parents were two of those people that case in point, you know, they were looking for something and it also gave our family something to talk about and be excited about rather than just going through the daily grind of things. You know, yeah. it's, it's that different thing that's exciting that, man, I haven't done this before. And there's always a new challenge. Yeah, totally cool. So we have first off was on the bottom survival, safety, 
uh, socialization, mm -hmm. self-esteem. The last one is self-realization. Okay. And that's kind of when you kind of figure out, uh, you know, that's where art comes into play. In okay. other words, you know, people don't do art when they're, it's pretty uncommon when they're trying to, when they're, you know, we're trying to survive. Right. 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 So now I've got all those bases covered and self-realization is my chance to kind of, I guess, almost like give back. Okay. Right. So how would you, when you think of self-realization and applying to martial arts, you know, give me, what, what are your thoughts? Sure. So on like a, a very small level, it's, I get to see it every day. It's the kids and the adults and the teens that are helping out their classmates. And it's really cool to see because they they feel confident enough to go, I know this answer and I can help you get to that next step and I want to help you. And it's it's really awesome to see how they feel after mm -hmm. that other person also makes that adjustment. So that would be one like kind of the base layer of it, I guess. Um, and then after that would be moving into a full on teaching opportunity, whether it's teaching a couple of classes a week. We've had many people do that for years and yeah, years absolutely. and they loved it. It added to their martial arts skill. They added benefit to the students that are on the mat. Um, so that's one way. And then another way could be a career. I mean, yeah. And then other, and other also is just the training of martial arts. Like, you know, you, it, both of us like lots of different martial arts, you mm -hmm. know, uh, and, uh, but so you've trained in a lot of different styles and, and you're, you know, of course you currently still practice jujitsu on top of your, your main, you know, Kempo blend style, cool. but you also put a lot of time in your boxing skills. Yes, sir. And that is also kind of your expression. That's what right. self-realization. It's like the, someone to be able to express themselves uh, in a physical way, like someone else might do gymnastics or dance. We okay. just happen to, you know, yeah, we do something might, different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and talking about that, I know that a lot of, especially like I think of our head instructors when we're training together, we all have a different focus on what our main martial art is mm -hmm. right and you can see that by how people move mm -hmm. and uh you know it, it gives us that freedom to have a little bit of that personal expression and not be locked down to one type right yeah well i kind of feel like you know you'll often see martial arts talk about what's the best style or that guy's <laughs> you know this what are they doing that for this is better and my philosophy on it is you know, what right do I have to tell you what your martial arts journey should be? Sure. You know what I'm saying? If this is something you enjoy, you know, right. and, and uh, you know, I had this one guy that I know who uh, is a uh, 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 high-level Filipino weaponry stylist. And by the way, you know, we do Filipino weaponry. Yes, You've sir. been doing it since you're a little kid. And uh, part of that culture is you, you know, you carry blades with you. And for quite a long time, I, I had two or three blades on me at all times, just kind of out of principle, because if you're practicing Filipino weaponry, that's what you do. But I, <laughs> I got tired of losing them at the airport when I forget to take one out. So I kind of, and I also kind of decided, you know, I don't, I decided I'm not going to, I'm not going to pack, right? I'm not going to do that. And I remember going out to lunch with this guy and he, he goes, hey, Kovar, he goes, what, what are you packing on you, right? What do you got on you? And I, I don't have anything. He goes, what? You call yourself a martial artist and you're not like, you don't have a blade or anything on you right now? And, and then, and then I, I, I asked him, uh, I go, well, tell me, uh, you know, why exactly do you feel like you need to have that? He goes, oh, man, you never know, you know, when you could get jumped and, you know, I want to live a long life. And, and, and I was looked, as he said that, he wants to live a long life, I was watching him eat a double bacon cheeseburger, right? <laughs> so, you know, it, it was like, dude, you're not going to die in a back alley life fight, knife yeah. fight. You know, if, if really survival, long-term survival, nothing wrong with learning how to defend you. Absolutely. But you know, health, fitness, that's part of it, buddy. You're going to probably die of something that, that could have been avoided, you know, right. heart disease or, you know, you, know, uh, you get the idea, yes, high sir. blood pressure or something. 
And, and so I'm reminded back to the martial arts story. So what is the best self-defense? Whatever it is, I think taking good care of yourself and managing your stress is an important part of that aspect as well. I totally agree, sir. hundred percent. Yeah. So we have, those are the five Maslow's five hierarchy of needs. Okay. okay? But later on he went back and there was actually a sixth one. He went okay. back and, and, and the sixth one was self-transcendence or transcendence. And that was kind of a purpose in life. Right. Okay. And it kind of goes, gives segue into the next area I want to talk about, which is kind of something that we try to do, uh, which is, you know, ingrained acts of kindness into our curriculum. But, yes, sir. but you know, I, I think what he was getting at is the first I, his hierarchy of needs was very kind of, I guess, uh, it's all about oneself. But once you get to a certain level, it no longer begins, you know, at one point you go, OK, great. I got this kind of figured out. How can I help others? And that was the kind of the point with the transcendence. And, right. and that's what one of the things that, that I know both of you and I are very passionate about with martial arts because it's pretty cool to see what the impact this has on people. Absolutely. Yes, sir. So uh, one of the things that, that we have attempted to do, and initially uh, it's, uh, you know, it wasn't as formal as it was, but is, is to kind of ingrain into creating a, an environment where people consciously go out of their way to look for things they can do for other people. You know, yes, sir. I heard a quote one time and, and I might be paraphrasing a little bit, but, but you can gain pleasure through selfish actions, but the only way to gain sheer joy is through serving others. And, mm. and you think about it, man, you know, like, like, let's just say I do something nice for you. Okay. Which probably once in my career, I hope I have. Okay. But, but, uh, how, how do, how do you feel? You feel pretty good about it. Yes, sir. How do I feel? Hopefully I, pretty good as well. I feel pretty good about it. Well, I'm a pretty good guy, I think. And yeah. anybody that saw it happen feels benefits as well. And that's one of the things that we try to get across with our Done With Bowling with the concept of buddying. So right. would you kind of share, like maybe with the, with the listeners, what we do with the concept of buddying in our in, in our anti-bullying program? Yeah. And I, um, we'll start with the definition of bullying, right? Because it's really important to get that across, whether it's a kid. It could be adult, too. Like how many times in a work environment or a public totally. setting does you know one adult act in a way they should? towards another adult. So it's totally goes to both. Yep. But bullying is the act of doing something on purpose repeatedly to affect their emotional or physical state, whether you're hurting them physically or you're, you know, saying mean things to them or doing things that make them feel less of a person because of what you're doing and you're doing it repeatedly and it's on purpose, that's bullying. Well, with the opposite of that, hopefully we can create some positive change. So I'm on purpose repeatedly doing things that will help boost somebody's emotional or physical well-being, right? So I'm helping them. I'm playing games with them. I'm interacting with them in conversation. I'm inviting them into, uh, you know, different things that we're doing. So I'm being more inclusive. Um, so being that buddy on purpose is basically the direct opposite of being a bully on purpose. And if our kids can do that, start by, you know, working with their classmates and then branching out to their family and then their friends, then hopefully that's going to increase their circle's positivity um, dramatically. You know, you know, something, I think it, you, you described that really well, something that I could do so much better. When I remember, I, I think I do nice things occasionally, but it's I, I don't always, you know, every, I'll get someone that will go out of their way to do something for me, right? right. It's like, whoa, that, how cool is that? I have a friend, his name is Buzz Durkin. He's this high-level martial artist. I've talked about him before. He's I've known him. He's one of my mentors for 40 years. And, and out of the blue, if he saw something on Facebook of something that happened, he will write me a thank you note. But it's not just some token. I mean, it's sincerely heartfelt. Hey, just want to let you know. Yeah, and and it's like, oh, how cool is that? Like, right. like you know, and and uh, it it's it's something that that we I know I can do a lot better of doing making a conscious effort of doing it on purpose. And 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 I think. 
to the point to where, of course, we have a series of mastery mindsets, and a couple of them are really centered around this. And and one of the ones that, that I wanted to bring up is is uh, the, the, the mindset of I make others feel important when I'm in their presence. I'm going to say that again. I make others feel important when I'm in their presence. What, give me an, what, what does that mean to you? Explain that. Immediately that jumps out to it's not all about me. Okay. Like I'm not the center of attention or the, the room or wherever I am. Um, and it's not that you're doing it so that they feel good and they look at you and go, oh, you did something nice for me, right? It's, it's that you're genuinely caring about people. You're genuinely active in conversations. I mean, I've had so many times where I've had both sides of the story, right? Somebody I've had a conversation with and I could tell they're checked out mm -hmm. and I could yeah, tell that they yeah. don't like that interaction for me doesn't, mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. I'll talk to you again, but yes. I don't really look forward to it. Mm -hmm. But I've had the other one where that person was totally immersed in the conversation and not that I was like, oh, they're only listening to me, but I felt like I was heard. Right. And that, that made me appreciate that conversation. And then to flip that is how can we then be that person yes. when we're in other people's presence? And I, I definitely struggle with that sometimes. And I have to kind of kick myself in the pants and go, well, okay, it's, it's time to be present focused or whatever. Yeah. It is. And I, I could do this so much better. I often will have a conversation even with a team member and they're talking to me and all of a sudden something else, my ADHD, I'll blame it on my ADHD <laughs> kicks in and I'm thinking about something else. And I realized after the conversation, I think I walked away before, you know, <laughs> really letting that, allowing that person to really be heard. And yes, I know sir. like, for example, I believe when you're a kid, you met Chuck Norris when he came to the school, didn't you? Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. But he would be an example of somebody that is over the top. I've had the privilege of being with him a half dozen times through the years. And you spend three seconds with that guy and you, he really makes you feel important. And right. that's something that, that's like, you know, you've got that, the, the student that comes in and, and maybe it's, it's a, a father and he's got his six year old boy that's going to be sitting on the sidelines, our ability to walk over and, not just make the father feel important, but that, that, you know, take that extra moment, right? You know, you might forget that you did it, but that's going to be, make a difference for that, that person. Absolutely. And, and it also removes the awkwardness or the tension from the room, right? If everyone's feeling comfortable, mm -hmm. it's a good, it's a good environment. If somebody's feeling maybe like they're not being taken care of or hurt or, you know, like they're maybe pushed off to the side, that could create a different vibe in the room. So yeah, I, I totally. definitely, uh, definitely want to make everyone feel comfortable. <laughs> and then, you know, what I found it's made it easier for me through the years, especially if you go to a martial arts event, there's, there's, uh, as much as we talk about how squared away martial arts can make people, there's plenty of ego in martial arts as well. Like there's in any profession. And, <laughs> and I've been plenty of places where it's kind of like, all right, who's the, who's the big dog in this room kind of sort of. And the easiest thing to do is just walk up and just give that mantle to somebody else. If you know what I'm saying? Like, Hey, sir, heard so much about you. I'm looking forward to learning, teaching with, you know, learning from you today. And, Right. And kind of like, you know, not deciding that you're going to, you know, be in some kind of a contest with this person to see who's sure. going to the next level. I'm just going to try to edify the people in the room and their guard's going to drop and everything's going to be easier. Right. And having that white belt moment that we talk about a lot, right? It's okay yeah. to accept new knowledge. And even if it's something that you're going to use or not use, I like using that line with my students that you should learn two things in every class, something that works really well for you and something that doesn't work for you. Hmm. Because, I like it. you know, yeah. uh, if I'm 45 and have a knee injury, spin kicks aren't going to be my thing. Good but, point. So, we want to make sure that we understand that and we have to sometimes be okay with being that that person that doesn't know everything. So. Yeah, that's a great point. And and when you acknowledge that, it's like there's nothing to defend. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like like when if you feel like you when when you oh you know no I don't really know much about that. All of a sudden you don't have to make stuff up or right. or feel as self conscious or anything about that. Well, there's another mastery mindset and 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 it, and it's I bring value to all my relationships. I bring value to all my relationships, and I, I want to share a story with you, and uh, that really summed it up. You know, uh, 
sometimes people might be in a position in their life where they feel like the, their, their, their job or what they do is, doesn't have a lot of purpose to it. Right. Okay. And, uh, but there's always, you can bring meaning to pretty much anything. And I remember one time a decade ago, uh, my wife, Angela, and I are going to San Francisco for the day and we're driving across the Bay Bridge. And uh, for those of you guys that aren't from the, the Northern California, you usually think of the Golden Gate Bridge when you think of San Francisco. But us Californians, that's not the bridge. It's the Bay Bridge. And <laughs> I'm sure you've been across it yes, many sir. times. It takes you – sometimes if you don't time it right, you're waiting for an hour, right? And we finally get up to pay our toll. And this is a back when they had like real people taking your money, right? And uh, I'm I'm not saying I'm impatient, but I'm ready for the line to be over. And I'm greeted by this gal, uh, uh, was swaying to the sound, the sound of some smooth jazz, and she looks at me and she takes my four dollars and she goes, "It's so beautiful in San Francisco today. I hope you have a great day." And like she really meant it, right? And I took that, you know, I I got my receipt and I look over at my wife and we just both kind of go, we drove off. That was so cool, right? I mean, and and it was a great day. And on the way back, we're crossing over the Crockett Bridge course, which is another another toll booth smaller on the way back to Sacramento. And now my spider senses are all tuned up like, okay, how's this person going to be, right? And and so the lady takes my money, my money doesn't even say anything. She kind of grumbles as she takes it. And if I could read her mind, I'm imagining her saying, my sister's an architect and here I am wasting my life, you know, working at a toll booth. Same position. Right. Two different outlooks, you know what I'm saying? My friend at the, the Bay Bridge, what was she doing? She was bringing value to all her relationships. I don't know how many people you take money from in a day, but it's got to be in the thousands, oh, right? Yeah. And every one of them, she was affecting time a little bit in a positive way. And first off, you got to imagine she probably enjoyed her job more, but what kind of a ripple effect she had. And right. I think that's such a great example about, you know, about, uh, you know, really living. There's a, there's a samurai phrase that goes like this, be like a weed and bloom where planted. And what that means is you think about a dandelion and grow between two, lo- two rocks. It doesn't complain about not getting enough sun or enough dirt. What does it do? It just kind of grows proud, man. If mm-hmm. someone happens to step on it, it just kind of starts back up again and, and does its very best with its resources that it has. And, and so that's the concept with I bring value to all my relationships. Is, you know, what can we do to just have interactions, small interactions, be, ben- people benefit from it. Right. Yeah, I think that the hardest part and some of these are kind of connecting with this is it's a conscious effort, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, at least until it becomes habit. And I think that's that's where sometimes in myself included people struggle, right? We forget that other people have lives going on mm-hmm. and bringing value is hard because it's not it's not a small thing, mm-hmm. even though that the, the act might be small bringing value to somebody isn't a small gesture. That's something that's important and it's, and it's valued by them, you know, dearly. And so in order, it can't just be like a, Hey, how you doing? Or something like that. It has to go a little deeper than that, whether it's your, you know, your spouse or your child or your coworkers or, you know, just a normal stranger. It's going to change based on that as well. Yeah. And you know, it's hard to do when you're not feeling good about yourself too. That's why like take care of yourself is a real priority because there's a great quote that I heard once hurt people, hurt people. It's true. You know, when you, someone is feeling put down or not good about the, what do they do? They often lash out. We see that on the playground with, bully, with bullies, yep. right? And, and so that's why I think it's so important when it comes to acts of kindness that we, uh, you know, we go out of our way to make sure that we take care of ourselves. And, and I know this is very cliche, but it's so true. But, you know, one, you know, how can you expect to be good for your family? How can you expect to be a good father, you know, a good instructor when you're not feeling good about where you're at, right? So Absolutely. that's why, you know, I think uh, making your health and your fitness and your stress management a priority is an important part of martial arts training. And, you know, case in point, I've been on both sides of that spectrum, sure. unfortunately. Sure, but, we you all know, it's, it's a normal thing for humans to, to experience both of those emotions. But when I don't train, when I'm not eating 
correctly, when I'm not sleeping correctly, um, all of those things mm -hmm. dramatically change how I teach, mm -hmm. how I interact with my family, mm -hmm. um, how I attack the day even like, mm -hmm. you know, sure. I, I found myself waking up later and staying up later mm -hmm. and making poor, um, health choices with like food that I was eating yeah. and it all spiraled into each other. And once I, it was hard to break out of some of those habits, sure. but once you're able to do one, then the next one's a little bit easier and the next one's a little bit easier. And we're never going to get it right. We're nope. going to fall back. You know what I mean? But it's, 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 it's really about the, it, it's, it's the path. In other words, you, you know, like, like however good of a day you have today and I have today, Right. Hopefully it's a good day. So yes, far sir. it's been a good day. But guess what? Tomorrow we got to get up and do it again. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? So it's kind of like uh, uh, you know, that's why I think it's so important that that as a martial artist that we go out of our way to kind of live on purpose, so to speak. You know, yes, meaning that we are, you know, we are, uh, we, uh, you know, we're going to do our best to be as, as uh, productive as we can and and take good care of ourselves and others. And and uh, uh, anyway, that's a good way to live. Yes, sir. Yeah, definitely. When, when I'm on track, it feels better. That's for sure. Yep. <laughs> but of course, getting back on is, is sometimes the challenging part. Well, hey, man, I know you have a full schedule here today and I don't want to take you too much longer. I really appreciate uh, you, you making time for me just to hang with you a little bit. It was nice to get any, anything you want to, you know, share listeners about anything before we wrap up this podcast? Um, you know, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I know that, you know, this is something you guys have been doing for a while and I've been watching them and getting a lot of good fun stories and knowledge and things like that. Um, I guess for the listeners, anybody that's out there that isn't doing martial arts now, I know that's kind of... Uh, and it's an easy one for me to plug and, and, you know, we're mm -hmm. in the business of martial arts, but honestly, if you're not doing martial arts, why? Yeah. Like I, I question it a lot because of how many different things it can do for people. Yeah. yeah but I have um, a, a, an injured shoulder. You know what? <laughs> I, I can give the same lines that I give to all the other people that I talk to, but I've trained people in, uh, that have been in wheelchairs. Yep. I've trained my grandma who had uh, five fused discs in her back with plates and all sorts of stuff. We can work around yes, it, right? Absolutely. Like if you guys are out there and you want to do martial arts, like, you know, definitely give it a try because you, you start for one reason, right? Whatever that reason is, could be anxiety, could be stress relief, could be physical fitness or self-defense and you stay for something else. So you're going to, you're going to meet amazing training yep. partners. You're yep. going to do something that's new and it's going to help create that, that thirst for knowledge, mm -hmm. which I feel sometimes as adults, even we lose that 100%. if we're not, yep. if we're not actively seeking it out. Um, and then, you know, things like mobility and stretching and, and moving the body is good for kids to release energy and build functional motor skills. And it's good for adults to stay healthy and build longevity in their, in their ability to move around and be active with their family. It's such a great perspective. And the human body has amazing recuperative powers. And when people say I'm too old to start, it's because what they're doing is they're comparing themselves with a, some younger person or a younger version yep. of self. It doesn't matter, man. You start right. training now in five years, you'd be glad you did. You know, I've never, Absolutely. ever, ever, nor have you ever heard someone say, I wish I would have never done martial arts. Right. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's definitely it. And you know, it's, if, if you want, if you're waiting because you're injured or waiting because your schedule is too busy or waiting because you want to get in better shape before you start martial arts, unfortunately, it's not going to happen. So just, right. just make right. it happen exactly. and, and try it out. And there's a lot yep. of people that are support you, your family, your friends, your martial arts instructors, like they're, they're going to help you out. Very cool. So I introduced you at the beginning as Shihan Sipes. And for the listeners, Shihan is a Japanese term that means a model teacher, Oops. right? And it's a title that's reserved for us for fifth and sixth street black belts. And you are certainly, sir, a model teacher. Thank you, sir. Thanks for being on. Appreciate here. that. Bye-bye.